Hello and welcome everyone. I'm Nathan Pomart and this is Loose, the Climate Tech Podcast. Every week we interview a founder and explore the stories, ideas, innovations and businesses behind some of the most inspiring climate tech companies that have a tangible positive impact on our planet. This show is designed to help you learn, instigate optimism and inspire further action towards addressing the climate change challenge that we face as a global community. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader or investor interested in learning more about the climate tech space and how you can play a part in it, this show is for you. My guest today is Falk Siegel. Falk is the CEO and co-founder of Cleta. A Barcelona-based bike subscription startup, Cleta enables its customers to get a mechanical or electric bike as a service. For a monthly fee, they can cancel any time. As such, they facilitate wider adoption of bicycles, helping reduce emissions and making cities more sustainable. Cleta raised seed investments from leading Spanish sports angels, such as NBA player Marc Gasol and FC Barcelona goalkeeper Marc-André Ter Stegen and from institutional investors such as Fondo Bolsa Social and Sabadell Bank. A German who made Barcelona his home, Falk started Cleta after perceiving the gap in his own life for a convenient bike option. That is the focus of our discussion. In this episode, you will learn about how transitioning from car to bikes at scale can have profound, wide-ranging impacts on our cities, the infrastructure that companies like Cleta are building to enable this, and what bike emerging markets are, and why there is so much potential for further bike adoptions in these markets. I hope you enjoy my discussion with Falk Siegel. So Falk, I'm very excited for this conversation. As you know, this is a podcast about climate tech, so I often end up interviewing you know, hard manufacturing companies, um, and they are great. But the topic we're going to talk about today, which is basically how you get people to switch from cars to bikes, is at the same time so simple and so powerful when you take it at scale in terms of the impact that it can have on, on carbon emissions and how it can transform our cities. So I'm really excited to, to dive into this. Um, maybe to get us started, you can tell us a bit about your story and how you ended up you know, starting Cleta here in Barcelona. Yeah, first, a pleasure to be here, uh, Nathan. I'm here in the warehouse, and thanks for, for if setting this up like, like this. I think that's the way, how, how we like it. A bit by a bit more about me. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm German, uh, but haven't been living in Germany for a long, long time. So I, 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 well, I lived in different uh, countries. I lived in the States. I lived in Colombia for a long time. I lived in, in the UK. And in the UK, it's also where I got to kind of, you know, got familiar with the startup world, and, and I got hooked up right away. Um, so I worked in a fintech for two and a half years um, and then changed and, and got back to Spain, actually, where I'd been living before. And I uh, worked in a different startup um, that was um, really like booming uh, three, four years ago. And, and, and like in my previous job, like also, let's say, Cleta started to emerge. I mean, uh, it, it's always, a, it, it, you know, it's a process. Sure. You, you don't uh, definitely. You don't, you don't know it, when it really starts. You don't know yeah. when it really starts. I mean, kind of looking back, uh, you kind of you see, let's say, the, the 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 points where you know, like where something emerged and 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 maybe a tipping point. Um, in my case, it was uh, first of all, let's say, a pain point that I felt every every day, right? Um, and it was actually my co-founder, me, who had a, 
like a pain point that we that we shared. Um, we were working at the same company, and I was using my own bike, and he was using one of the shared uh, systems that we have here in Barcelona. And I was at some point fed up of taking my bike to my place, um, bringing it up the stairs, putting it in the elevator, and not leaving it outside. Yeah. Because, I mean, you live in Barcelona, you know that people don't leave their bikes outside For sure. because, they you know, they, they're going to get stolen. And, and it's a stereotype, but it actually happens to your own bike. Yeah. Uh, and my co-founder, who had, like, one of the sharing bikes, uh, he got late to every second meeting. Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't tell that, uh, but, but it was like this because there's, let's say, uh, there's a limit, right? Especially in peak hours uh, where you don't have stations uh, with bikes or where like the stations are full. So this is, let's say, I think uh, where, let's say, the initial motivation started. And when was, when was that? When was the first bike on the street with the first user? So the idea, let's say, in, in mind, we had in, at the end of 2019, Um, and then, I mean, we were still working in, in our startup. And I remember that I bought a whiteboard to kind of set it up a bit properly two weeks before COVID. So, so COVID hits us and, and it's like, okay, what are we going to do with our lives? Sure. Basically, that's what, I mean, everybody of us, I think, felt, felt like. Yeah. And um, a week later, um, we were, you know, we couldn't go out. We decided to, to launch Kleta. And launching Kleta at that point was, I mean, thinking about, okay, how are we going to launch a startup? hardware startup uh, with no money in the bank and uh, with no investors because there was no way of raising money at that point for, for us first-time founders yeah um and um what we did in order to validate the project here uh, was calling all um, um alquileres turisticos you would say in spanish or let's say all the uh, touristic rental bike shops sure uh, because they didn't have tourists and they knew that they wouldn't have tourists for a long time so we uh, rented out 30 bikes Mm -hmm. uh, and actually got them on the street the first day they let us out here in Spain after the lockdown. And that's how the first Kleta actually was on the street, which was in May 2020. Got it. So about two and a half years ago. Yeah. And so tell us a bit about where you are now. Right? Clearly you've grown. You're now in multiple cities. Um, how many bikes do you have out there on the street? And tell us a bit about sort of where, where at which point of the story are we now two and a half years later yes uh, if, if i if i extend it too much you let me know and, sure. and then I'll, i'll cut it because it's a it's a it's a question it's a good question huh? um, where are we now it's, it's easy to say i mean we're in three cities sevilla valencia and barcelona yeah. with more than 2000 active subscriptions so, so more than 2000 bikes on the street i mean you see a lot of bikes here in the warehouse yeah um, but we do have uh yes more than 2000 bikes on the street um the, the journey until now was I think marked by by a few tipping points also. So I think looking back and, and, and shortening, let's say your, your question on my answer, um, we started with a different target group in mind. And right? so I'll I'll ask you about the journey as as we go along. Yes. What is your target group today? You were telling me about B 2 B B 2 C earlier. So yes. what is the mix of of users? Of, uh, of your subscriptions? We focus completely on B2C. So we, we do have some B2B customers, but our focus and, and more than 85% of our customers are B2C users. And in yep. that case, it's not just B2C, it's, it's, it, it's a local user, right? And, and by local user, we mean somebody living in the cities where we operate. Um, that's super important for us because we initially focused on a different target, which is somebody who was here for, for three months, four months, six months, a uh, student from abroad, but clearly realized that the problem that we could solve is much more important and much bigger for a local target because we realized that we're acquiring users who switch to bikes as the main transport method. Right? So tell us more about this because this is, this is the really 
uh, key link with the impact that you have on the yes. planet, right? Um, clearly, getting people to switch, um, you know, to commute less by car, more by bike, means that your impact on, on emissions is, is very strong. That, that's not necessarily obvious when you think about your business immediately. So what did you find out about what do people switch from and, and what unlocks the fact that they may be switching from cars to, to bikes? I mean, looking backwards, it's, it's, it's easy to answer. I think during the journey, it wasn't as obvious and it was something that we found out along the, along the journey, right? Um, the, the reason why they change is, is, is looking backwards again, is, is, is easy because if you're thinking about switching to bikes, there are pain points, right? And there are problems that, that we solve with our, with our subscription service, which is, I mean, you don't have to buy an e-bike, which is usually very expensive. You don't have to, you know, th think about thefts, which is also a big problem. Sure. Um, so we solve these pain points, which is especially a pain point for somebody who's thinking about switching to a bike, because you don't know if you can actually use the bike for a long time, right? Yeah. So it, you might just want to try it out, but hey, you're not sure. So that not being sure makes you not buy a bike, purchase a bike, or make you not use the service. So and what is the mix between uh, mechanical bikes and electric bikes out of the people who take on your subscriptions? Uh, we're actually getting very close uh, to 50-50. Okay. Um, so in Barcelona, we actually surpassed, um, let's say, our, our e-bike subscriptions actually surpassed mechanic, uh, yeah. mechanic bikes yeah. and all e-bikes with, with local users. So we don't allow, for example, delivery guys to use our regular B2C bike. Um, so we actually get to a target that is changing, you know, from a car or from a bus, metro or a motorbike to a bike. And yeah. that's, you know, when we really like, started to realize that, I think that's where we really fell in love with our own project uh, because we, we, we felt the difference we can make and the impact that we have. And just to give you a figure, I mean, more than 80% of our users switch to bikes mm -hmm. thanks to Kleta. So this is, let's say, a real impact that you feel and, and that we also hear from, from our customers. And, yeah. and, and I mean, when we got to know each other, I think you got linked up or hooked up by, by me telling you, hey, we changed lives. Exactly. By, you know, by incentivizing and facilitating users of a bike. And that is not something that we kind of wrote down because it, looks good for investors or it looks good for, for, for everybody else. Our clients told us, hey, you're changing my life because I'm rediscovering my city in a completely different way. And do they tell you what kind of journeys do they replace? What kind of journeys do they do now by bike instead of doing by car? Uh, yes. I mean, the, the, the majority of our users use, let's say, the bike for commuting. So they go to the office and they don't use the car uh, or they, they don't use the motorbike and, and, and use the bike. And then we have a lot of families. We have a lot of young families. So, so they, instead of, you know, taking the two children or one child in, one child in, in their car, they go to the, to the, uh, to the, to the schools or uh, the kindergartens um, by bike. Yeah. And then you have, let's say, a very, very beautiful impact that you see being in the city. I mean, you live in Barcelona and I think you see quite a lot of yellow tires. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then we're going to see them after when we go into the warehouse um, to take a look around. But I, I do... I do see a lot of them on the street. Um, and as we, as we will show the warehouse a little bit later, it would be great if you could walk us through, like, what are the key activities that you as a company do to enable this bike as a service? Yes, very good question. I think, you know, our core is making sure that our customers is happy, you know, with our service alongside the ent entire journey. You know, because in a subscription service, 
you know, it, it's 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 much harder, much more complicated than in, in, than selling a product. Because if you sell a product, you basically did the sale, right? Then there's an after service or after sales, but a lot of bike companies, they don't take care of the after sales. So they have external parties that take care of it. And we do, you know, take care of, let's say, acquiring the customers, you know, onboarding the customers in our physical stores that we have, and then taking care of incidents and maintenance uh, with our mechanics on the street. So, yeah. so, so we make sure that our client is happy because that's the only way how we grow, right? With an awesome user experience. So let's say what we focus on, you know, what our core is, is, is making sure that our client is happy alongside like during the entire lifetime that he or she is with us it sounds very trivial but you know as soon as you scale up it, it is it is it is much harder than than you think because in a subscription service you're much more you know you want your bike to be good every day yes if it's your own bike you say okay i, I bought it well i go to the workshop in two weeks yeah. if it's on a subscription well you want it to be nice tomorrow so you know you 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 so it, how many mechanics do you have now out on the street uh, or, or here but i guess like delivering that service or we yes. fix your bike within what is it 24 hours that you that you commit to or we commit to 48 hours 48. but we commit to 48 hours without you being at the bike so okay. let's say what we do in different let's say to other competitors is we don't meet with you in the majority of times because we don't want you to be pending on a certain day or time when we meet sure you. so we go to the bike because we know where your bike is parked and then we take care of it how many mechanics do we have i mean in barcelona we have uh, roughly a thousand and a half subscription okay. and a half active subscriptions and we got uh, two mechanics working okay. full-time on, on the street uh, because i mean that's that's our core definitely so, and yeah. we do have a lot of more mechanics here in our warehouse i mean you've seen some of them yeah um we do also prepare the bikes obviously before they go out uh, and, and before we deliver them in our stores so we do have mechanics that take care of this um but yeah our mechanics on the street our heroes our superheroes um and what are the what are the challenges that you're sort of cracking now when it comes to, you know, keeping that, that service level or keeping that quality of, of service as you grow very fast, right? You, you were telling me you, you're growing quite fast at the moment. So what are the things that you're trying to do to, to keep up with, uh, with your growth? It's a, it's a good question. Um, I mean, yeah, I told you that we did uh, or that we do in a 30% month on month now in September, which is, you know, high season for us. And the challenge is, I mean, projecting your growth and then obviously also kind of projecting, let's say, the, the, the stuff that you need, right? And, 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 and the hands that you need to, to, to maintain the service level at very high levels. That sounds easy, but sometimes you project something else than, than you experience. So, you know, I think speed is the most important point and kind of, you know, measure the status of, of the health of our customers and be, be, you know, be very easy and be very fast and in, in reacting and taking care of these, let's say, no, in Spanish you would say puntos débiles, no, these some of pain points in the operation chain that you have yeah. to kind of know where you have to react. So I think this is, this is key for us just to know, you know, the challenge is to know how our customers really are. Yes. How happy they are with the service. And when we see that we're like lacking at some part, be super fast and, and adjusting. What is the thing that surprised you the most as you are scaling this operation? Curious to hear if there were one or two things where you thought, well, this is much more, maybe much more complex than I thought it would be. Um, well, this is probably not surprising for a second time or third time founders, for a first time founder lead, uh, managing people in, in different stages of the company. And, and let's say we have a high seasons and then lower seasons, right? So the pressure is also very different. 
and, and, and how people react to, let's say, different circumstances is much more com complex than, than you think. What surprises me is like how fast you grow as a founder into, let's say, the different roles that you take care of. Uh, and how fast I got older. Uh, <laughs> people now tell me that I look like 35 when three years ago they told me I look like 25. So, so that is, that is something it's more okay. personal. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and let's switch maybe to the sort of the go-to-market side of, of your business. Yes. T tell us a bit, um, you know, how do you get people to find out about your service? Like, what is the journey for people to discover and then adopt uh, solutions like, like yours, like Kleta? Yes, um, you know, the, the, the most important thing, you know, is before you talk about channels is, is really like, like, let's say, know your target, like who's, yeah. let's say, the target, at least for now, you know, the lowest hanging fruit and, and, and how do we have to communicate to them? So I think this is the, 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 the major point. And when we realized, hey, we're targeting somebody who's changing, you know, to, to bike as a main transport method, we kind of also figure out where, what transport methods are they using now? No, mm. if you think about, let's say, less uh, conventional channels. Obviously, we do also, let's say, paid channels, which work well for us. But then we have a physical product. So we try to use our physical product when we acquire users, right? And in and, and, and different, let's say, offline strategies. So, and that's what we focus on. Okay, where our where are our customers now and having certain pain points that we know? Yeah. And, and, and how do we present, let's say, our physical product in a way that they see it as, you know, an option that they want to try now? And then afterwards, we focus a lot on, on referrals, on recommendations. I mean, more than 50% of our users are recommended by existing users and something that we incentivize uh, a lot. And, and I think that goes along and say with the user experience itself. Yeah. So um, it's, it's, it's a bit less maybe conventional than, than other companies, uh, but because we understood we have a physical product that stands out. We have a bike with a yellow front tire and, and, and we're having an impact that is very easy to, let's say, understand if you experience a pain point in your car, experience a pain point in, in the tube. I mean, I lived in London for two years. Mm -hmm. I, had a, I had a pain point myself a year living in London using a tube. When I changed to a bike in London, my, my life changed. So, so let's say this is something that we try to, let's say, express in our uh, marketing. And uh, so what, what are well. some examples of unconventional physical marketing that, that you might be doing? I mean, for example, um, there was... Uh, in, in, in Sagrera, um, here in, in Barcelona, mm -hmm. in one of the metro stations, and it got sh shut down during during the summer, during August. So um, there was, let's say, a bus line on the other side, but the buses were always crowded. So at some point, we decided just to just to put a small stand, uh, one of our employees, and, and two us right next to this, and talk to people, right? Yeah. Because they had the pain point, they were waiting, they had to get into like a super crowded bus, uh, and these are, let's say, little things where we try to be very local with our approaches. Yes. Um, obviously. There, there are, let's say, more centralized operations that we do on the marketing side, but we try to be very, let's say, say local in our approach because, I mean, eventually our mobility, mobility is, is local. I mean, mobility has always been local and, um, and, and we do think that mobility has a strong local impact. You can go to fuel stations and as people take out their credit cards to pay for the ever-rising you know, fuel bill, you can tell them, hey, with us, you, you don't pay for the fuel. You are the fuel. I, I, I'm going to tell that to, my, to our marketing team. But yeah, there's something in online marketing, for example, that yeah. we do use. I mean, mm. this, is the, this is a good example. Uh, but yeah. Okay. Um, let's switch gears. I wanted to talk a bit about the other cities that you are opening. Yes. I think you're opening or you have opened already Sevilla and Valencia. Yes. Um, where are you there? And what are the, the challenges or the, the key steps when you go into a new city to, to make sure you ramp up uh, quickly? Yeah. 
we, we decided to, let's say, open uh, Valencia and Sevilla also, let's say, to learn before we go abroad. I mean, let's say the, the mission that we have doesn't stop here in Spain. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a global problem um, that, that, we, that we want to solve, uh, or at least, let's say, in bike emerging markets, something where we focus on. And because like in bike emerging markets is where a lot of people are not using a bike yet. So that's what we focus on. But we decided to open up Sevilla and Valencia to learn, right? Because these are two sure. different cities. Uh, one city that is, uh, you know, that doesn't have a lot of competition in terms of mobility, which is Valencia. Um, you know, and, and then you have a city that is very, let's say, crowded with, let's say, other mobility services, mm. uh, which is which is Sevilla. And also, let's say, a completely different mindset than, for example, here in Valencia, Barcelona. How is it going? Very well. I mean, we launched Valencia end of last year. And uh, we get into a thousand active subscribers in okay. Valencia, so okay. so that is going very well. Sevilla in the beginning uh, was 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 more difficult than we thought um, because yeah. um, I mean, we did a typical first time launching mistake when you launch open up a different country. I mean, for us it was the same country, but very different language. You sure. know, the way you get to customers, the way you speak to customers. Um, so so we didn't really let's say. You know, we, we didn't really touch base with them. Uh, something that is changing now and something that is going much better now. Um, but uh, yes, our, our approach in, in the first step was always, you know, we, we want to we learn and actually know, let's say, have a perfect playbook before we go abroad, uh, which is the next step for us. Okay, so going abroad is the next step. Are you already thinking of specific countries that you could disclose or? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of, there are a few countries, let's say, on, on the bucket list. Uh, you have the UK, yeah. you have France. Uh, you also have Italy and uh, markets that are, you know, in different phases, but overall, you know, they, they share characteristics, you know, and it's, it, these are still bike emerging markets. If you look at the model share of, of Paris, for example, you know, it's still lacking behind like behind Berlin, Munich, not talking about Amsterdam or Copenhagen. Um, but there's, you know, there's, you know, a movement also from the government side to incentivize the usage of e-bikes, something similar happening in London. Um, but the pain or pain points, you know, that are not yet resolved. And, mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and so, yes, we do see, uh, you know, our impact, you know, that we want to have in these cities as well. Yeah. And so this notion of bike emerging uh, markets, you, you come from Germany, which is, I guess, in some cities, much more bike developed. Um, what is your vision in terms of what it takes to go from a bike emerging market to, uh, you know, to the level of Amsterdam and Copenhagen? from the different stakeholders that, that you see, you know, having an impact on, on this? First of all, it takes time. So I think that the horizon that we usually have, right, which is 5, 10, 15 years, is not enough to get to a level of Amsterdam, Copenhagen. But there's also a way, you know, like, you know, way in between. You think about the model share projected for Paris, uh, you know, it's, it's around 15%. Um, right. At the end of 15% of journeys being made by bikes. Being made by bikes at the end of 2030, you okay. know, starting from around 2 or 3% in 2018. So this is a huge, you know, a huge, sure. you know, huge like change, change yeah. which comes with infrastructure. So infrastructure is, let's say, a basic where, let's say, the government has to push. You know, something that, you know, is evolving, uh, but you need to get to, like, let's say, critical mass of cyclists in order to get that wave, you know, rolling. Yeah. Um, so what you need is, let's say, public, you know, like, let's say, public institutions incentivizing the usage, especially by better infrastructure. And then you have private companies like ours that, um, you know, need to incentivize um, the, the, the usage of bikes by resolving pain points. Because the government is never going to resolve, uh, never going to solve your pain points, right? In uh, that, you know, as agile and fast way as sure. private companies do. Um, before we, before we um, 
go and visit the warehouse. Yes. Tell us a bit about your fundraising journey. I think you had two rounds. You've raised about two and a half million so far. Um, who did you raise from, and how has the sort of the fundraising uh, experience been? Yes. Well, how has the fundraising experience been? It's 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 it's, uh, it's always harder than you think. I mean, if you haven't done it, uh, then you realize uh, that you hear a lot of no's, and hearing a lot of no's is kind of getting out of your comfort zone overall. And we've been very lucky, let's say, also with the investors that we got on board. Um, I think we just you know started. Sometimes you have to be at the right spot in the right moment, and, and that I think is something that we do have because there's a change yeah. happening, and everybody sees it. Um, we did two rounds, so we did let's say first uh, pre-seed round where we had some local business angels from the mobility space investing, and then uh, the goalkeeper of Barcelona, uh, Mark Andre Testegen, um, who helped us a lot in gaining credibility in Spain. I mean, he is one of mm -hmm. the best goalkeepers in the world, and, and obviously, let's say a yeah. figure that people know. And then we closed a seat round at the end of last year, where we had, let's say, the first institutional investors uh, in Impact VC from Spain getting in, Banco Sabadell. And also um, another famous athlete, no? Another famous yeah. athlete, yes, with Mark, Mark Gazol, ex-LA uh, Lakers player. Um, and, and that is something that has been working out very well for us, um, not just for the press release afterwards, but really just to getting to the end consumer and getting more credibility. Because, I mean, you look up to athletes, right? And, and yes. you do sometimes, you do stuff, or you try stuff because an athlete is doing it, or the athlete is telling you, hey, try that and that is something that we need you know we need let's say that that push from athletes or, or let's say artists um, um in order to get people you know using the bike because we know as soon as they use it you know they don't want to change yeah um look Falk, we're gonna go take a look at the at the warehouse Please. um so we'll cut here thank you so much for you know for taking the time for sharing your your story with us um and now we'll go and and take a look at what the team is doing cool thanks cool. a lot thank you So, Fang, I mean, this is the most mobile podcast recording I've done up until now. <laughs> We've just moved through the whole warehouse, and um, it's really interesting. I mean, clearly you get a sense of how much the local scale that you're building is, is important. Yes. Because you can serve 10 bikes from this warehouse, you can probably serve 10,000. I mean, tell us a bit about, about how you think about this and how you can become more efficient, as you were, as you were telling me. Yes, I mean, without a doubt, I mean, you know, the, the basics in our case are done. And, and for us, let's say, getting to the first thousand years is, is much, much harder than getting to the next, you know, next 2000 in our case, which we did in three months. So there, the scalability aspect is, is huge. Um, and especially going to, you know, into, into e-bikes, something that, you know, that we've been focusing on from the start. I mean, we started with mechanic bikes just to get, let's say, you know, our hands on the ground very quickly. Uh, but we know, let's say, that the, the juicy side of the business is on, on the e-bikes because the operational costs behind are almost the same or exactly the same. And as you said, I mean, we do now have around a thousand and a half customers in Barcelona. And from this warehouse, we could potentially serve 5,000, 6,000 without going to different space and the same operations. Um, what, is the, what is the juicy segment? And <laughs> we hear the, the noise of the, of the mechanics at the back. So I'll, I'll start again. What is your? It was super interesting what you were sharing about the, the segment of the market that is, let's say, more profitable, and those that maybe you've learned yes. are not profitable for 
for either price point or because they have much more incidents. Yes. Can you talk a bit about yes. uh, what you learned about this? Without going into the details of the competitors that we talked sure. before, but let's say you have, let's say, mechanic bikes, and especially the lower price point, that do have the same operation costs. I mean, you can make a bike, uh, you know, not, not make a bike like that way that you don't have to fix it a lot, but you still have operation costs tied to that, right? Yeah. So this is, let's say, not as attractive from a from juicy side. And then you have, let's say, riders, you know, that they go into, let's say, into the e-bike spec, and that, that have a lot of incidents because it's a commercial use, right? They use the bikes sometimes 12 hours a day, sure. and they need their bike to for the next day to work, to make money. So they have, let's say, much more incidents than, let's say, the target that we are targeting, which is somebody like you and me. I mean, yeah. we are using our bike to go to work, maybe to go to the beach, uh, to do sports, or maybe visit our girlfriends. Um, but let's say the, the usage is not as heavy, and we also do take care of our bikes. So let's say if you understand, let's say, the targets that you, that you target, you understand that certain, you know, products, in our case, especially e-bikes, and then, you know, buyer personas, are much more profitable mm. or much more juicy than let's say others and and let's say this is something that we i mean in our case our target persona that where we really was like solved the pain points came first but we understood that it's also a very juicy let's say target mm. you explained to me that you specs you specs you design and make your own bikes right with a yes. partner manufacturer why, why did you make that decision um, honestly speaking, at some point it was it was a need, right? Because we were in pandemics um, and, and there was no way to getting supply within like six months. So at some point we had to, let's say, use local suppliers um, and, and we had to, let's say, send some of the components that we needed to be needed to have on our bikes to the local manufacturers. And that's how we, like, initially also started very, very early in, in providing, let's say, our, let's say, own hardware. Um, to the customers. Something that we're doing, something right, that I just told you is when we validate, let's say, new models, we do work with third parties yeah. because it's a very easy and, and, and efficient way to launch, let's say, product. As soon as the product is validated, we get into, let's say, the phase where we, let's say, you know, take more time in, in order to design the hardware for the purpose that we have and mm. understanding also, let's say, the feedback of the customers in that first validation project. So and you're bringing IoT into your designs, right? Yes. Okay. So, for example, the new e-bikes that we're launching, and designed for families, right? Um, so that you can take up to two charts in the back. And you have, let's say, in, in own IoT, you have, let's say, also a unique way of unlocking your bike. So we do really innovate, let's say, on, on, on our products as soon as we, you know, pass that validation stage. Falk, I had such a good time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for, for making us um, discover the warehouse. Uh, I think it will fit nicely into, into the video. Probably cool. get some get some yellow tires on, yeah. the, on the video. <laughs> you can find out more about Kleta on their website, kleta.com. Check out the links we mentioned on the episode page. If you enjoyed this episode, follow us on your favorite podcast app and stay tuned for more insightful conversations with some of the most inspiring climate tech founders.